Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean, and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. So these past seven months have been something, right? And we have been separated from one another in a variety of ways. The most tangible of which is physically. We're not able to see or be close to one another. We're not even at at moments of deep need able to truly embrace. So we violate that law right on purpose from time to time just to kind of love one another. But we've been divided because of this virus. This virus that has a real threat, and so we have to abide by these particular separations. The the spatial awareness that maybe was not there before is there every moment of every encounter. And we recognize just by moving and breathing and having our being that there is separation and division among us. But I've got to tell you, I've been praying about this day and what word God would have me bring for not just the first sermon, but the first sermon series upon our return. And the Lord impressed upon my heart in, in almost visceral, tangible ways to address that there has been a virus in the world far longer than COVID-19. And I'm just going to call the virus this morning the virus of division. Of division. Can you feel the palpable divisions that are everywhere we turn? We are divided in every conceivable way these days. We're divided politically, that's for sure. We're divided theologically. We're divided racially and ethnically we're divided socioeconomically we're divided in every kind of way you can think in fact in many ways especially if you are in leadership in any area of your life you you find yourself having to walk this this narrow kind of kind of ridge upon which you navigate a very delicate balance because to the right and to the left there are these deep and wide chasms between us And all it takes is about five seconds on social media to recognize how divided we are. Everywhere you turn, there is division. In fact, the trouble is none of that should surprise us. We are separated and fragmented because we are in a fractured and fracturing world. We have stories, beautiful stories at the front end of this book that tell us why that may have been the case, that God had dreamed of a beautiful oneness with which we might abide in this garden that we call life. And and because of sin, because of choices that we make, there, there enters into our narrative a fracturing of our story. You can even later go back to Genesis 3 and you you watch as we fall, we recognize there are these images that are painted in Genesis 3 where now because we have fallen, there's separation, almost 
gradations of separation between every kind of thing. Separation between men and women. Now you've got to wear fig leaves of some sort, right? The separation where we're no longer vulnerable, naked, and unafraid. But now there are separations between us. But not just separations between people and people, but separations between people and the rest of the created order. There's this beautiful image of Eve with her heel on the head of a serpent, right? Gradations of separation and division that are all around at every turn, even separation between us and the maker of us. Where Adam and Eve turn and they see the flaming sword that keeps them now from the garden from which they have been expelled. So it shouldn't surprise us because you and I live in and have always lived in a fractured and fracturing world. The trouble is, the church was supposed to be a new creation. If you're going to say amen, you got to do it louder through the mask because I can't hear you. All right? So the, the church is intended to be a new creation. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. Everything old, all the fracturing narratives that divide us are, are passed away. And behold, something new has come. But the trouble is, I sometimes look around, and you do too, at churches all across the world, and we see the same kind of divisions inside the church that we see on the outside. And when a fractured and fracturing world on the outside looks to us to find an alternative that's better than the broken world, and they see the same kind of division on the inside, as they feel themselves on the outside, will tell me what in the world is compelling about that. So the truth of the matter is when the church, the body of Christ, the body of Christ is divided, it has the capacity to compromise the very integrity of our witness in the world. The body of Christ is intended to be this body where, oh, these images, the, the body where well, we call each other things like sister and brother. The body of Christ is that, that, that beloved community where we recognize when we hear the rain falling on the roof above us that God lets the rain fall on the clean and the unclean, the righteous and the unrighteous. See, the beloved community that Jesus came to demonstrate that is possible is the, is the community that gathers around a table that we did not construct and we eat from a meal that we did not prepare. The body of Christ is a collection of souls who recognize that when we eat at that table, it's a table of radical inclusion because not only do I look to my left and my right and see Sisters and brothers, on my left and on my right, are you picking up what I'm putting down? We also see that this God is a God who prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. We are the ones with an alternative story to live out in front of the world. And yet, if we allow the same kinds of divisions to make their way into the churches of this world, then we have compromised the very integrity of our witness in the world. And right here is where John 17 comes in. Because in John 17, which was read in its entirety earlier on purpose, because I wanted us to feel 
the length and breadth and the weight, the gravity of this prayer lifted up by Jesus. It is the strongest appeal in all of Scripture for unity in the body. And it's prayed by Jesus. In fact, some have even called it, this prayer in John 17, the Lord's Prayer. You're like, well, isn't the Lord's Prayer, you know, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name? Yeah, it is. But actually, when you find that prayer in Matthew and in, in Luke, you'll see that the centered heading above that column says the Lord's Prayer, but that's because the editor put it there, right? The disciples came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus then taught his disciples and said, okay, as you pray, pray our Father which art in heaven and so on. But here in John 17, we get a glimpse at something that we don't see in any other place in Scripture, an intimate, behind-the-scenes glance at the vulnerable, intimate relationship between the Father and the Son. And Jesus prays what is technically the longest recorded prayer of Jesus in the entire New Testament. 632 words this prayer is. You think my prayers are, you think my sermons are long. 632 words in this prayer. In fact, it's it's such a powerful prayer between the son and the father that John Knox, the famous Scottish minister and theologian said that when you make it to John 17, you have entered the holy of holies of sacred scripture. Upon his deathbed, he even had his wife read to him again and again the prayer of Jesus that we might be one. And this was the last prayer of all the things he could pray before he was arrested, before he was crucified. The theme was that we might be one. And although we read the entire chapter earlier, I just want us to focus on two verses that kind of stand up off the page for me. And I want us to allow these two verses to grab our attention, to pull us down into the text, and to transform the mind a little bit today because I don't think there could be any greater time in the history of the church for us to listen to the prayer that Jesus appealed before the Father. The verse is verse 20 and 21. Jesus said, I I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me because of their word, that they may all be one. As you, Father, are, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. He prays not only for those who were around him, some of whom were snoring under a tree nearby, others would scatter. Jesus knew and would quote, eventually, Zechariah, strike down the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. But he prayed not just for those then. He said, but I pray for those who will believe because of their words. That's us. Now think about that. I, the thought that comes to my mind is, what, what did Jesus see that night? When he lifted his eyes to heaven 
And he prayed with all of the energy and vigor in him when he prayed that we might be one. What did he see when he lifted his eyes to the heavens? Did he look into the future and see? Did he he look 60 years later into the future, around the year 90, at the council of Jamnia? This mighty council where the religious leaders of Judaism gathered and some of them were Christians and because the first Christians were Jews, the teachings of the Jesus followers were beginning to look a little bit more distinct and there was a decision made, among other decisions, at the council of Jamnia in the year 90 that what we have here are two different religions and they're launched a new religion in the name of the one who never came to launch a religion By the way, Jesus didn't come to start Christianity, right? And by the way, Jesus wasn't a Christian. (laughs) Did he pray, seeing that there would eventually be a split and the launch of a new religion? Did he say, Lord, keep them one? Because he knew where that would lead. Or did he look 500 years or 300 years later into the 4th century and he sees... hmm, But there is an emperor that comes to power, Constantine, who merges faith with the state in a blurry blend, a kind of cocktail, a a blended version of faith where faith and politics become so intertwined you can't see the difference between the two. And so the emperor Constantine becomes a Christian either out of sincere confession or political expediency Did he see in the fourth century that it would be possible for that to blur the message of Jesus? And he prayed, God, keep them one. Or on that night when he lifted his eyes up and prayed that we might be one, was he thinking about 500 years later in the year 1054 when he realized that the church would explode with growth, but in the explosion of growth, there would be diversity of thought and experiences and different angles on how to interpret his words. And now those who were in the East differed greatly theologically from those who were in the West. And in the year 1054, the great schism of the Greek Orthodox Church and the Roman Catholic Church, did he see it? And therefore pray, God, Lord, keep them one so that the world may believe. Or not only after the Council of Jamnia where we became a new faith, not only the Constantinian synthesis uh, where in which the, the, the very message of Jesus was blended and blurred into politics, but not only in the great schism where the East divides from the West. I wonder if he thought 500 years later in the year 5 or 1517, uh, Did Jesus in the garden praying that night hear the sound of the hammer in the hand of Martin Luther as he nails 95 theses or complaints against a door at the castle church in Wittenberg? A man who complains about the corruption of the Catholic church, but he didn't want to start a new church. He wanted to reform it and make it better. Did Jesus see that it would start a firestorm around Europe? And then once again, we split from the Roman Catholic Church to the Protestant Church. And did he see over the last 500 years that we have continued to splinter and fracture? We remember from the echoes of Eden how to fracture things. And now today we have more than 30,000 known denominations around the world. Did he see it coming? When he said, Lord, make them one. 
as I am one with you. See, either way, what Jesus did to call us to oneness in this prayer, which was the lengthiest and most passionate prayer that Jesus ever prayed, what he did was more than simply say, Lord, I just want them to all get along. Uh, it is more than a prayer of, Let's, Lord, just make sure that they get around campfires with a guitar and sing Kumbaya. The oneness that Jesus was talking about was not sameness of thought, not sameness of methodology or practice. It was oneness of purpose. One purpose. Now next week you're going to hear me preach a little bit more about the need for diversity in our oneness. I'm going to say next week that oneness is not the same as sameness, that unity is not the same as uniformity, but that's next week in a sermon I'm calling Cancel Culture. But for today, oneness of purpose. Because in the first part of verse 21, we hear Jesus say, Lord, make them one as, so that the world may believe. So that the world may believe that you sent me. Now the word in that phrase, world, is an interesting word. The word is in Greek, cosmos. The word cosmos or world appears 206 times in the whole New Testament. In the 21 verses that we're looking at here, it occurs 19 times within 21 verses. Cosmos, cosmos, cosmos. It's the same word that's used in John 3.16 when we hear these words, for God so loved the cosmos that he, he gave his only son. And typically when we interpret cosmos, we, we think of it as world, but it's important, especially in John 17, to recognize that cosmos doesn't simply mean planet, right? It doesn't mean like this terrestrial ball. It doesn't mean the third rock from the sun. Cosmos is a word that literally means the order of things. Cosmos means the way things are ordered, the way systems are ordered. Structures are ordered, the way governments are ordered, the way kingdoms are ordered, the way the social system in which we move and groove is ordered is cosmos. And Jesus prays, Father, make them one so that the world, the cosmos, may believe that you sent me, so that the current order of things in this world is able to recognize you've sent me to provide another way to order the world. When Jesus prays for our unity, it's not so that you and I like each other. Thank God, right? Because that's a tall order. But he prays for unity so that we may be one in purpose. Which purpose is this? It's the purpose that the current order of things in the world may be able to see through our unity that there is another way to order life. A way that is a way of rescue, a way of redemption, a way of salvation, a way of hope, a way of reconciled relationships. And that way is Jesus. 
And if Jesus prays that you and I are one so that the world will know there's another way to order life, my question for you is the same question I ask myself. Is there anything about the way I have ordered my life that shows a disordered world a better way? Is there anything I... I do in my life that shows this disordered world because would we all agree that the world is in disorder right now? Would we agree with that? Because if the world is in a, in a state of disorder, the cosmos, then you and I in our union with one another, abiding amid our differences and diversity in a supreme law of love. <laughs> I think I read that somewhere. If we were to abide in the supreme law of love, we demonstrate that in us there is another way, another way to abide with one another. Now, when Jesus prays about this, I, if we're able to drill deeper, can you drill deeper for just a moment with me? Remember, I can't hear your, your amens, so you get, oh, thank you. Because here we go, he's praying that we're one, and not one so that we can, you know, kumbaya, get along together, but one so that we have a fixed purpose that the world will know there's another way but he prays for a particular kind of unity he said make them one just as i am in you and you are in me may they also be in us what jesus is referring to here in this prayer is the trinitarian unity in the godhead that there is perfect unity in the godhead in the trinity the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit abide and have always abided in this perfect union, this oneness. In fact, it's a strange math where one plus one plus one equals one. And in that wholeness in which God abides with God, there is mutual submission and sharing and community and service and love and out of that community that is God, Father, Son, Spirit, Jesus is, is praying that we might experience that very same thing. Now, the Trinity is a mystery, right? The moment you hear somebody speak as if they've got it figured out is the moment you need to listen to somebody else. We don't. We've been having fights about this since the second and third century. But one of the most compelling ways that I've ever heard is comes from our Greek ancestors in the Greek Orthodox tradition, the perichoresis. Perichoresis is a Greek word. It's made up, we've talked about it before, peri meaning around, and choresis meaning to dance, like choreography. And perichoresis means to dance around, to circle dance. If you've ever been to the Greek festival, you know what I'm talking about. You grab on a hold of the napkins and you dance in a circle with one another. But these are the images that the ancients used to describe the presence of the Father and the Son and the Spirit that they dance together in a circle dance of mutual love and compassion and submission and humility and love. But the beauty of the perichoresis is this idea that even as the Father and the Son and the Spirit dance around, that was pretty good, wasn't it? You like that? Even as the Father and the Son and the Spirit dance around in this perfect union of oneness, the idea is that a hand reaches out from within the dance of God 
and invites anybody who wants to dance with God to dance in the fullness of unity and love and grace and oneness. Could anything be more beautiful than that? I'll tell you where I saw this happen once. I told this story last week at a wedding for Benjamin Self. It was at the wedding of uh, Finley and Nathaniel Balance. A few years ago, I don't know how many years, three, four years ago now, at Finley and Nathaniel's wedding, there was this party, this reception, and there was this music, and it was playing, and there was this dancing and this food, and everybody was having a great time. And, and I was there as the pastor at the back of the room, really enjoying watching the whole room. And I love that part of a wedding. And then the DJ put on Low by Flo Rider. I know that's on everybody's playlist. But when that music began, I enjoyed just watching everybody having a good time. But you know what happened? The bride, Finley, the bride, which you did, Finley, is you, you saw me in the back of the room enjoying watching everything, but that was not good enough. So the bride leaves the dance floor, comes and gets her pastor by the hand, and when the bride gets you by the hand, you go, it's over, you go where she tells you to go. And we went to the dance floor, and I saw some moves from some of you, too, on that dance floor. We had a great time, but it raises the question for me, my goodness, do we, do we want to watch the dance floor of God's divine dance of oneness from a distance? Because we're being invited to it. You're like, I, I don't know the steps. It's all right, because the music is called faith. And you learn the steps along the way. So, so Jesus prays that we might be one, that we might dance this dance with God in perfect unity and wholeness. But here's the, here's the rub about that whole idea. For the Trinity to experience fullness and oneness and perfect shalom within itself, it cost every member of the Trinity something. It did. It cost the Son his life. It cost the Father the grief of watching his Son die. It cost the Spirit something, because now that the Spirit is loosed upon the earth, we can either receive it or reject it. We can quench the Spirit. We can grieve the Spirit. So it cost every member of the Trinity something to experience the oneness of the Trinity, right? And it will cost us as well. To say yes to the dance of God's divine love with God and with one another in perfect wholeness and unity and oneness, it means that it will cost all of us something. You know what it means? It means that you just can't do and say everything you want to do and say. Because sometimes what you do and say may violate somebody sitting right next to you on the pew or in the chair next to you or sitting, sitting across the ottoman in the recliner at home it means that we have to relinquish the rights we have to our own ego, our own selfishness, our own pride, to be a part of the worldwide body of Christ in perfect wholeness and oneness with each other means that we relinquish our own rights and privileges. It's what Paul said when he said, consider the needs of others as more important than even your own. Now, soapbox alert. I'm about to get on a soapbox. 
I love social media. And I'm on social media, right? I post, I Instagram, I tweet. I share things about my family. I share things about my church family. I post things that are funny and I like and share things that are compelling, right? I love social media, except sometimes lately I've begun to believe that social media is the devil incarnate. Come on. Listen, can I just talk as a family for a minute here? Because the truth is, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You see somebody you know and you love on there. And they post something that so violates something in your conscience that no matter whether you agree with it or dis disagree with it, here's what it happens to do to the soul. It creates a wedge between your capacity to freely love them because now there's this obstacle between you <laughs> that has to be navigated. And the more it gets posted and tweeted, the more that obstacle becomes a barrier to love. And, and what I want to suggest is that we consider a different way. That's the way the world is ordered right now. Everybody's posting and tweeting and thinking about things out loud with no responsibility to look somebody in the face and tell them directly, right? That's how social media works. And I want to suggest to you that we do something right now. Don't worry, I'm not going to suggest we just get rid of all of it. That's like next sermon, okay? I'm going to suggest right now, I can't mandate it, but I'm putting out a call with all my heart as your pastor. That from this moment forward, all the way through this upcoming election, members of JCBC don't post one political post, don't share it, don't like it, don't, don't comment on it. And I'm telling you this because you have the right to do that. You have the right, of course you do. It's one of our most cherished rights as Americans. But we are citizens of another kingdom that says at times you lay down your rights for the sake of the other and i'm saying if you and i through our non-participation can demonstrate to the world a different cosmos a different way to order life well maybe we won't compromise the very integrity of our witness in the world and then through our wordless witness a broken world will look at us and say, I want some of that. So fill social media with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. Fill it all up with posts about your family and about this church because we're back in session, kind of. But here's my final word. Everything I'm saying sounds fine except for one thing none of it matters not one of it not one thing matters not one point i've made here has any merit unless each of us individually come to reconcile the division that's in the heart the division that's in the mind until we each come to a place where we recognize that were it not for christ we would be standing on one side of a great chasm that we could not cross until we come to a place where we recognize I cannot 
reconcile this broken world on my own. I can't even reconcile my own division that's in my head and my heart. So I yield myself to the one who is the way. If you're here today in the sanctuary or in the Family Life Center or, or maybe you're at home or, I don't know, listening on the treadmill on Tuesday and you recognize that you want to be a part of a different cosmos, a different way to order relationships, a different way to model for the broken world, radical inclusion and love to, amid our diversity, if you want to be a part of that but you recognize you've never come to grips with the separation that you have between you and God? It may be that right now, I mean right where you are, with your eyes wide open, you look right at my face, and you adopt these words. God, I recognize that I'm on some side of some chasm all the time. There's a separation between me and the people in my life. There's a separation between me and my work life and my, my family life, my church life. And I feel like I'm fractured, like Humpty Dumpty, and nobody can put me back together again. And I, I recognize, God, that my only answer is you. I've come to the end of my bag of tricks. I've come to the end of all the ways I've attempted to put my life back together. And so I stopped. And I yield myself to the power of your presence bridging that gap for me. And, and I, I pray that even right now you would bring to wholeness and to oneness all the broken parts of me. And I ask that you would forgive me for all the ways that I contributed to the brokenness. Now, and I will follow you. Amen. So if you prayed something like that or anything like that, you, you need to know right now that the God who made you and has been watching you, walking alongside you your whole life, heard you and receives you. But you don't need to keep that a secret. You got to tell somebody. If you're at home and you prayed that prayer, I want you to let us know. I want you to email us at connections at jcbc.org. Org. And tell us that you prayed the prayer so that we can start to come alongside you and pray with you to take your next step of faith. But let these words be our words of blessing as we go. May Christ go before you to prepare your way. May Christ go behind you on the days that you fear and feel like retreating to encourage you one step forward at a time. May Christ go to your right and Christ to your left, abiding closer than even a sister or a brother. May Christ go above you on the days when dark clouds roll in to remind you there really is one above the clouds who at the end of the day has the final word. May Christ go beneath you, girding you with confidence and removing all forms of fear. But mostly may Christ go in you transforming you from the inside out until your hearts beat in rhythm with his. So now, in the peace and grace of our Lord, go and love the world today.